Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sports Island Podcast. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. And we've had a two-week break here from Sports Island. A little, little over two weeks, I should say. Uh, got us through the holidays. Hope everybody had a healthy and happy Thanksgiving, especially during the times that we're in right now. It makes it even more challenging to just have a safe and healthy holiday. But uh, I know everybody's gearing up, getting ready for Christmas, and it's a busy time of the year, so I appreciate you guys taking time to listen to this episode of the podcast. This is version 20, so it is another mini milestone, the 20th episode of Sports Island coming at you, and we got a busy one. Uh, We got a couple weeks of material to catch up on and a lot of sports news here, so we'll go ahead and jump in with that, and we're going to start off, of course, like we usually do, and that's the PGA Tour. And the last episode, a couple weeks back, was the week of the Masters. And Masters is always the best golf tournament of the year. It's the most prestigious. Um, It's just, it is the Masters. And for the first time ever, the Masters was in the fall this year. Of course, originally, uh, normally played in April, uh, but the pandemic had other plans for that. So, first time we've had a fall Masters. And... You know, I know there were there's probably a lot of people concerned about how the weather was going to be in the fall versus the spring, but uh, the weather for the Masters a couple weeks ago was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and the course, uh, if if you're any kind of golf fan, you, I know you watched part or part or some of the Masters, and uh, you got to see that that course was in just as good a shape as it is in the spring. And honestly, I think it may have been even prettier with the uh, the leaves changing colors and everything, but. Uh, the weather was actually nicer than what it was projected to be back in April, uh, or what it was back in April. So um, that's, you know, not that they're going to move the Masters to the fall. I think that's going to stay in the spring. And uh, this this year's Masters uh, for the 2020-2021 season is going to be played in April uh, like normal. So, uh, but that was great to see. Um, starting off the week for the Masters, there were there were two guys that had positive tests that had to withdraw, and that was Joaquin Neiman and Sergio Garcia. So we didn't see either one of those guys in Augusta, um, but we did see everybody else. Uh, of course, the field was loaded with all your top players in the world. And uh, my picks to click for the Masters, um, the first pick to click that I gave you was Dustin Johnson. And we'll get... There'll be a lot more on him in just a minute, but um, he ended up winning. Um, he's He won with a score of 20 under par, which is the first time in Masters history that uh, somebody got to 20 under par. Uh, he was just absolutely ridiculous all weekend long. It was a wire-to-wire win, and um, he really just uh, dominated, and it... You know, once you got to about Saturday, beginning of the the first few holes on Saturday, it was pretty apparent that he was not going to lose uh, and that he was going to get his first green jacket. Um, My second pick to click, uh, so I obviously clicked on Dustin Johnson. Uh, He won, so that was definitely a click. My second pick to click was Bryson DeChambeau. And... He came in to this tournament as the odds-on favorite. He was top five player in the world. Um, Vegas liked him to win. 
and he just came out flat. He actually struggled to miss the cut or to make the cut. He almost missed the cut, and it was just it was not pretty at all. Uh, he was all over the place. His driver was terrible. His irons were terrible. A uh, couple really, really bad holes, triple bogeys, just did not look good. And when it was all said and done, he was at two under par, which is was good for a 34th place tie. So I did not click on DeChambeau since he was outside that top 25. My final pick to click for the Masters was Brooks Kepka. And Brooks is a four-time major champion, and he always elevates his game in the majors, every single major. It uh, doesn't matter if it's the Masters or the U.S. Open or PGA Championship. He always uh, elevates his game. So um, I like for him to come out sharp. He finished 10 under par, which was good for a seventh place tie. So uh, while he, he, was, he was in contention for a little while, but the way that DJ was playing it, you knew nobody was going to catch DJ. Um, you know, I told you there'd be more on Dustin Johnson in a minute. Now, Dustin Johnson, he was. I told you he was the first player to reach 20 under in, in Masters history, which out of all the big-name players um, to step foot at Augusta, uh, for him to be the first player to reach 20 under par, I mean, that was just, like I said, if, if you watched it, it was, he just did not look like he was going to lose at all. Now, second place, there was a tie at 15 under par, Sung J.M. and Cameron Smith. Uh, and then fourth place was Justin Thomas at 12 under. But Cameron Smith, uh, the Australian, he was the first player. He finished second, right? 15 under par. Five shots back. So, remember, Bryson DeChambeau won the U.S. Open by six shots a couple months ago at Wingfoot. Well, Dustin Johnson won the Masters by five shots a couple weeks ago. And Cameron Smith, who finished second, he was the first player in Masters history to shoot all four rounds in the 60s. And I read that, and I could not believe that. Not that... Cameron Smith is, you know, a bad player because he's not. I mean, he finished second in the Masters, for God's sakes. But it's, it's, it's difficult to believe that, you know, nobody has ever shot all four rounds in the 60s before in this tournament. I just, I, I, for some reason, that struck me as something that I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe, really. Um, so DJ, he is a previous uh, ma- uh, major champion, so he adds this to become his second major victory of his career. Uh, he won the 2016 U.S. Open previously. Uh, this is Dustin Johnson's lowest score uh, in Masters history, and it ties the lowest score to par in a major championship history. Uh, so 20 under ties the lowest score to par in any of the four majors. And his victory by five shots this year is the largest margin of victory at the Masters since 1997 when Tiger Woods just obliterated the entire field. Now, the uh, Masters win 
gave Dustin Johnson uh, the FedEx Cup. Uh, he got enough points to win the FedEx Cup. So Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth are the only two players in PGA Tour history to win both the Masters and the FedEx Cup in the same year. Again, I figured that would, that list would probably have a few more people on it, but uh, you know, some some stats are a little more surprising than others. But last week, the PGA Tour went to Sea Island, Georgia, for the RSM Classic, and it was at the Sea Island Resort Golf Club. And I didn't watch a single thing of this. Uh, it was a par 70 course on the uh, Sea Island, Georgia. Is, uh, right on the coastline. Looked very pretty. Uh, but I just I did not watch any of this golf tournament. We didn't have a show last week, so I didn't make any picks to click. But to recap the tournament, uh, it actually turned out to be pretty competitive. The field itself was not great. Uh, it was the week after the Masters, so there wasn't a whole lot of people a uh, whole lot of big-name players in this thing. They all took the, the time off after the Masters. But the winner was Robert Streb with a score of 19 under par. And he actually beat Kevin Kissner in a playoff hole to win. So Kissner and Streb both finished at 19 under par, but Streb beat Kissner in the playoff hole. And third place was Cameron Tringale at 18 under par. Now, this playoff hole, it gave Robert Streb his second career PGA Tour victory, both of which have come at the RSM Classic. So he just has a thing for this course. Now, Kistner's loss, Kevin Kistner's loss in that playoff hole, makes his career playoff record 0-5. So if Kevin Kistner goes to a playoff hole... He's just about a sure thing to lose it, as can be. But the golf turned out to be pretty good, competitive, despite the the, uh, lackluster field, so to speak. Now, this week, the PGA Tour heads to Mexico for the Mayacoba Golf Classic. Now, the Mayacoba Golf Classic is played at the El Cameleon Golf Club in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. And this field is actually pretty solid. Uh, Several top flight players in the world are in this thing. Um, There's there's definitely some talent all throughout. Um, Andy Ogletree, who was the uh, low amateur at the Masters a couple weeks ago, got an exemption to play in this thing. And uh, so he'll be out there. Brendan Todd is last year's winner. At this thing, he'll be out there. And then, of course, you got some some big-name players, a couple of which you'll find here in my picks to click for this thing. So my picks to, uh, picks to click for the Mayakoba Golf Classic this weekend in Playa del Carmen. I'm going to start off with Abraham Answer. Now, Abraham Answer is number 22 in the world. He finished tied for 13th at the Masters a couple weeks ago, and that was after a 4-over 76 that he shot on Sunday. Uh, just looked not good on Sunday at the Masters, and he still finished tied for 13th. Now, no Mexican-born player has ever won in Mexico at a PGA Tour event. And 
Abraham Answer still does not have any career PGA Tour victories, and I think his home country would be a great place to get one. He's playing good golf as of late, and uh, he's got the home field advantage, so to speak. So I like for Answer to finish inside the top 25. My second pick to click is going to be Brooks Kepka. He is number 12 in the world rankings. He just finished tied for 7th at the Masters, like we discussed, and the week prior to the Masters, he finished tied for 5th at the Vivint Houston Open. So he's coming off of back-to-back top 10 finishes in his last two events, and uh, his game seems to pretty much be rounding into form of the Brooks Kepka that we've come to know over these last few years. So uh, I think in a field where there's only a, a few other really, truly elite-level golfers, I think Kepka's got a great chance to finish inside the top 25. Now, my final pick to click for the Mayakoba Golf Classic is Justin Thomas. And Justin Thomas is number three in the world rankings. He His last... Well, so I'll get to that in a second. He just finished tied for fourth at the Masters a couple weeks ago and then tied for second at the Zozo Championship a couple weeks before the Masters. Now... In Justin Thomas's last five starts since the Tour Championship at Eastlake, he has finished no worse than 12th in any of his last five events, including uh, the FedEx Cup playoff of the Tour Championship and the Masters. That was just a couple weeks ago. I mean, this guy is as hot as it can be right now. He is... uh, I mean, you watch him play. He's confident. He's with all of his clubs. Driver, irons, wedges. Might be one of the best wedge players in all the PGA Tour. But he just really consistent right now. And five straight events without anything lower than a T12. Yeah, I think he's pretty much a lock to be inside this top 25 this week. So uh, mark it down as Justin Thomas. Uh Uh, possibly with a great chance to win this thing this week. But that'll wrap up the PGA Tour. We'll go over now to the National Football League. And I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, I do know uh, it's it's obviously the COVID stuff, right? Um, All of these positive tests that we're seeing, it's it's daily. Uh, It's daily. It's weekly. It's uh, the, the po- amount of positive tests have like doubled, tripled in this last week for the NFL. And it's really, really putting their season in, in jeopardy. And teams are getting fined for not wearing masks in interviews. You know, the uh, Raiders got handed a pretty stiff suspension a few weeks ago that I met, uh, that I talked about in one episode. Well, the New Orleans Saints just got docked with something as well. So the NFL's taking the protocols seriously, uh, but it's still the players are wearing masks on the sidelines, you know, and they're tightening up, tightening up the, uh, the the protocols basically, and making them even, you know, uh, more strict. I guess uh, masks are to be worn, you know, in buildings at all times and um, whatever else. So it's. The NFL's trying like hell to finish the season. And last episode is, was called Hell or High Water because the NFL's literally doing 
everything they can to finish this season come hell or high water. And that was the purpose of of naming that episode that. But that has really been true over this last uh, week or so in particular. Now, specifically, the Baltimore Ravens, they just had a massive outbreak of COVID. All that stemmed, based on contact tracing, they were able to link it to one of their uh, coaching staff members who was around several players without wearing masks, got kind of complacent with it. And uh, then now we have seen in this last uh, week and a half, 11 players for the Ravens have tested positive for the virus. 10 staff members have tested positive and 20 players have been placed on the COVID reserve list, which uh, is a large number. I think this is this is higher than what the Titans had in their outbreak. Um, so I think this this takes the cake is probably the worst outbreak we've seen in the NFL. Now with the Ravens have gone eight straight days with a positive test in their organization, which is is fascinating, and it has put a huge uh, damper on this this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers that was scheduled for. Uh, this this week uh, in the NFL, it was actually supposed to be played on Thanksgiving night, but with all these positive tests, they postponed it to Sunday. So we get to Sunday, and uh, they had to postpone it to Tuesday because of the tests. Uh, it kept coming in positive, and um, here we are on Monday, November 30th, and they just announced that the game is being pushed back to Wednesday uh, instead of Tuesday. So Wednesday, December 2nd, instead of Tuesday, December 1st. And who really knows at this point? Because the Pittsburgh Steelers have had a couple positive tests in their organization this past week as well. So who knows if this game is even going to happen. But this is the third time that this particular game has been postponed. And it is uh, really in serious jeopardy of, of not happening or being pushed back to the end of the season. Now, that's that's the rare occasion, you know, as far as the NFL having this massive outbreak. But the effects of, are on the other games, too. When something like this happens, the NFL then has to reschedule other games, too. And in this particular case, uh, the... Baltimore Ravens were supposed to play next Thursday night, or this, I guess this week, technically, this Thursday uh, at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that game has gotten moved to Monday, Monday afternoon. And that was with the game originally supposed to be played on the, against Pittsburgh on Tuesday. So now that it's pushed back to Wednesday, who knows what's going to happen with that Cowboys-Ravens game. Now, on the other side, Pittsburgh... Their game next week has gotten moved as well because if they're playing midweek, they, they can't play any earlier than Monday. So that's um, just any time an outbreak happens and you have to postpone a game, it, it has um, multiple other impacts across other games. And so, like I said, the NFL is just completely trying like hell to get this season underway. And this past weekend was a doozy for the NFL. <laughs> we had there were there were four four big things that uh, that kind of happened, and 
We just talked about the first one. The Ravens reserve COVID list has grown up to uh, to 20 players now. Now, the Detroit Lions, they fired their head coach, Matt Patricia, and their general manager, Bob Quinn, after that ugly Thanksgiving loss to the Houston Texans. Um, you knew Matt Patricia was definitely on the hot seat. The media had been saying he was on the hot seat. He kept pushing it off, and the Lions lose another one. So Patricia's out of there. Not sure who they're going to hire. That organization has been, you know, in the cellar for years. So they uh, they need to really kind of take their time and find somebody that can help get them out of that. Now the other two pieces of news from the NFL, and we'll go over these, uh, or at least this one here, the 49ers. They, uh, they're not able to play their home games at home for the next couple of weeks. And I'll explain more on that when we get to around the island here in just a minute. Now, the fourth piece of news was the Denver Broncos. Um, they had a positive test in their quarterback room, Jeff Driscoll, I believe. And their other quarterbacks, Drew Locke included, uh, were deemed high-risk close contacts. So they had to sit out this week. So that left zero quarterbacks on the Denver Broncos roster for this week. Zero quarterbacks. They tried to get a an assistant coach of some kind to play quarterback, but the NFL would not allow that. So instead, they call up Practice squad wide receiver Kendall Hinton, who has not played quarterback since 2017 when he was the quarterback at Wake Forest. He converted to a wide receiver once he got to the NFL, and he's been on the Broncos practice squad. So insert a practice squad quarterback or practice squad wide receiver at quarterback for the Broncos and... His stats, you know, are, are about what you would expect. He went one of nine for 13 yards and two interceptions. Uh, the Broncos pretty much ran the ball all game, and they just got pummeled by the Saints, 31-3. to Now, I saw a meme that was pretty funny. It said that uh, uh, the Broncos team with a wide receiver playing quarterback scored the same number of points against the Saints as the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is actually true because Tampa only put three points on them a couple weeks ago when they got destroyed. So that's that's pretty funny. But um, we'll move on now to the NCAA and college football. Now, this is very similar to the NFL, uh, except the COVID tests that we're seeing in college are far more um, frequent than the NFL. Uh, just because your teams are bigger, you're on campus with a bunch of kids. I've explained all this over the last several episodes, but colleges are going to have a harder time containing this thing than uh, than the NFL, uh, and that's just that's just you know due to numbers, right? A lot more people on campus than there are in an NFL uh, NFL facility. But there's been over ninety to ninety five either postponements or cancellations of football bowl subdivision. Division one games. And some of those have been outright canceled. 
not going to be played. Some of them have been postponed, going to be played later on in the season. But, I mean, we're, we're pretty much approaching 100, 100 games this college football season that have not been uh, played. And that's just one of the impacts of this damn virus is just this trying to get these games in. Now, some other news in the NCAA. Alabama head coach Nick Saban, he tested positive for the second time for this virus, but this time was for real because last time, remember, it was the week of the Georgia game and he uh, somehow tested positive and then mysteriously produced three negative tests in a row to get cleared to coach that game, which I told you back then that it was probably a false positive test, that or they just uh, threw it away and pretended like it didn't happen because it's Nick Saban. Uh, But this one, he said he actually had mild symptoms, so... Uh, I'm going to believe that this test is probably real. But uh, Bama just keeps rolling. Uh, He didn't coach this past weekend in the Egg Bowl. And um, they didn't really need him because they beat the tar out of Auburn. And uh, with regards to the SEC, they actually announced a scheduling change. A couple weeks ago, I told you that uh, uh, LSU-Alabama game was had to be postponed. It was originally scheduled for November 14th, but that had to be postponed because of some positive tests and everything. Uh, and they weren't sure if they were going to even be able to get that matchup in since the only open date uh, for Bama and LSU was the same day as the SEC championship game. But I don't know what the SEC did to make it fit, but they ended up, Moving the LSU-Bama game to December the 5th. So we are going to get to see that game. And uh, normally that game is one of the best of the year. Because LSU is usually a top 5 or 10 team. And of course Alabama is usually a top 2 or 3 team. So, But this year that's not the case. This year uh, LSU is horrible. And Alabama is probably going to win by 30 points at least. So uh, if I were LSU I wouldn't be too pumped to be playing Bama. Now, speaking of Alabama, the first college football playoff rankings came out this past week. And the the top four teams per the playoff committee, number one, Alabama. Number two, Notre Dame. Number three, Clemson. And number four, Ohio State. Now, no surprise with Alabama. Uh, They're undefeated. If you've watched them, they are clearly the best team in the country. Mac Jones is uh, looking like uh, a first-round quarterback. Uh, You could throw his name into the mix of the Lawrence and Fields and Trey Lance and all those other quarterbacks that you hear about that might go in the first round. Zach Wilson, all those kids. Uh, But number two is Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame's undefeated as well. Uh, They they beat uh, North Carolina this past week on the road in Chapel Hill. Uh, They've also beaten Clemson a couple weeks back. Uh, That was a home win overtime against Clemson, who Clemson is number three in the rankings, which uh, this is the part where I find it interesting. Uh, They have Clemson ranked number three, Ohio State ranked number four. Now, Clemson has one loss, and that was to Notre Dame on the road in overtime with a freshman quarterback starting. But 
Ohio State is undefeated. Now, they haven't played as many games as Clemson, but Ohio State's undefeated. And if you've watched Ohio State play, again, you can see the eye test. They are very, very good. And, uh, of course, they got Justin Fields, who will be a, you know one of the top few picks in the draft in April. And uh, so I don't – I guess you could probably slot uh, – Clemson and Ohio State are three and four. Uh, I think the rankings are pretty accurate the way they're at. Uh, I may throw Ohio State three just because they don't have a loss. But uh, either way, uh, one plays four and two plays three in the in the semifinals. Whenever these rankings get finalized, and of course, the college football playoff committee will issue new rankings every week. Uh, this because of each team winning their game this past week. I don't see the top four changing this week. I still think it'll be uh, Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. Uh, if there was a change, Ohio State would jump Clemson, but uh, I, I don't see I don't see that happening. Now, also, one of the surprise stories this year is the Indiana Hoosiers, uh, the University of Indiana. Their football team hasn't been good in a long time. That's a basketball school, but uh, they are. They they fought with Ohio State pretty well uh, a couple week last weekend in their game there fell short but uh, Indiana's a solid team and they are legit to compete in the Big Ten and a lot of that is due to their quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Uh, and in this past weekend's game Penix Jr. actually tore his ACL so he's done for the year uh, which is pretty disappointing because like I said Indiana. Man, they uh, they've had a great year, and you just wouldn't um, wouldn't expect it from you know Indiana because they play in the Big Ten, and that's Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin. You know teams that predominantly own that that conference. But uh, the final piece of college football news is that College Game Day. College Game Day announced that they're going to Conway, South Carolina this week for the first time ever. And Conway, South Carolina is home to Coastal Carolina University, which is the Chanticleers, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And they play, they are undefeated right now. Undefeated in college football, and they are playing a one-loss Liberty team this week. So College Game Day decided that they were going to come to Conway. And, uh, man, that, uh, that Coastal Carolina team is really good. Uh, I saw a video on, uh, I believe it was College Game Day's Facebook page, maybe ESPN's, and they did a thing, uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes look at this team. And, of course, they don't get the, the four- and five-star recruits like a lot of your major D1 programs do. But they wheel out one-star, two-star, three-star players, and they just make it work. And uh, it's that team is so tightly knit together. Uh, they showed some you know, post-game locker room stuff. They're smashing stuff with sledgehammers, dancing, screaming. They're having a blast. Um, it's I would say... College football, Coastal Carolina is the best team that nobody knows about. And that is the uh, honest truth right there. And um, with game day being there this week, those boys will be hyped up. And I guess 
Um, they're going to be televising that on one of the major networks. So um, let's tune into that because watch, watch those guys play. Um, they got a, a turquoise field. The turf is turquoise. That's a pretty cool little scene. I've actually been to Coastal Carolina University in person. Um, pretty neat little place around there. So uh, check those those guys out. The Chanticleers are for real. Uh, they're they don't play in a great conference, but uh, they're they're still a good football team. But we'll move to our segment called Around the Island and uh, some quick hit topics from various sports. And we'll start off in the National Basketball Association. Now, last week, the NBA draft took place, and it was all virtual, just like the uh, NHL, uh, uh, NFL, all those drafts have been virtual. And um, we'll just, we'll go over, I'm not going to read, you know, the first round. There there really weren't too many surprises, I guess. Uh, The top 10 picks, we'll just go over those. Um, Minnesota Timberwolves had the first pick, and they took Anthony Edwards. Um, He was widely projected to be the first overall pick by a lot of people. Uh, And I talked about last week on the the preview that the top three could have gone any way. Let me just – I'll get to that in a second. The Golden State Warriors picked number two. They picked uh, James Wiseman out of Memphis. And uh, the Charlotte Hornets were three. They took LaMelo Ball. Now, I told you Edwards, Wiseman, and Ball were the top three prospects on everyone's rankings. And um, that's how it went. And you could have gone you could have gone those three in any order, and it wouldn't have been surprising. So the fact that those three did go one, two, and three is uh, really what was expected. The first surprise, I guess you could call it, was number four, Chicago Bulls. They drafted Patrick Williams out of Florida State. Um, he wasn't really projected to go in the top five. Uh, he had been gaining a lot of steam late in the process, but he was not projected to be a top five pick. The Cleveland Cavaliers at number five drafted Isaac Okoro. The Atlanta Hawks at number six took Onyeka Okongwu out of USC. Uh, The Detroit Pistons at number seven drafted Frenchman Killian Hayes, uh, who he was another one of those uh, guys that picked up a lot of steam late in the process. A very good shooter from beyond the arc. Um, He's going to help the Pistons out for sure. Uh, He's a great player. Number eight, New York Knicks. They drafted Obi Toppin out of Dayton, and uh, he was the wooden player of the year in college basketball last year. The dude is like 6'10". He's huge. He can jump out of a gym, super athletic. Uh, He's got some, if you look up Google or YouTube, Obi Toppin highlights, dunk highlights, and you'll you'll find some good ones on there. The uh, Washington Wizards had pick nine, and they drafted the Israeli kid named Denny Avija. And he, he again, he's another one of those. There's a few, these European kids, they... uh, you don't really know a whole lot about them. Uh, the NBA doesn't, you know, because they play professionally over there, and it's it's just not the same, you know. It, it's, they don't get the same um, coverage they, that college basketball gets over here. Uh, but he's another one of those kids that, that took um, took a lot of people by surprise uh, last season in his professional league season. And uh, the 10th pick 
in the first round was the Phoenix Suns, and they drafted Jalen Smith out of Maryland. He's uh, he's another one of those athletic big dudes that uh, that can jump around the gym. But uh, the rest of the first round finished out, and you can take a look at that. Um, there were couple trades, you know, after, you know how basketball does it where the, the team picks the guy and then they trade him, trade their rights to him and all that. There were a couple couple things that happened there with that, uh, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing crazy. Now, after the draft, free agency began, and there were a lot of trades and a lot of free agency deals that have been signed. And just to keep you up to date on some of the major ones, uh, the Boston Celtics did a sign and trade with Gordon Hayward, so they sent Gordon. They signed Gordon Hayward and then traded him and a couple of draft picks to the Charlotte Hornets um, for future compensation. So the purpose of that was to get a uh, for the Celtics was to get a, a twenty-eight and a half million dollar trade exemption uh, to get rid of uh, Hayward's contract. Now, uh, free agent Hassan Whiteside, he's a center, played for Portland last year, previously to Miami Heat. Um, He's become a great player in this league. He signed a one-year deal with the Sacramento Kings, uh, which was kind of surprising. Now, speaking of the Sacramento Kings, they had a deal in place to... Trade Boyan Bogdanovich to the Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks, but that deal fell through because Bogdanovich didn't want to go there. So, um, the Atlanta Hawks actually signed Bogdanovich because the Kings did not want to match his offer sheet. So, Boyan Bogdanovich is a, a great perimeter shooter, and uh, he goes to the Atlanta Hawks to join Trey Young. Uh, Bam Adebayo, Miami Heat Center, re-signed with the Heat on a five-year, $163 million contract. That has the potential to be up to 190 I believe, with incentives. Um, he's probably the best young center in the league, uh, Adebayo. He proved it in the playoffs. Uh, without him, the Heat just, he's basically the heartbeat of the Heat. Now, Brandon Ingram for the New Orleans Pelicans signed a five-year, $158 million contract. And that was a, his rookie max for that. And um, he, you know, he was the NBA's most improved player from 2019-2020. He averages almost 24 points a game. Great player. Now, DeMarcus Cousins. He, of course, has struggled with injuries in his career, had uh, had played for the Warriors, but got hurt, tore his, uh, I believe it was his Achilles. Uh, but he just signed with the Houston Rockets. Let's see. Um, some draft day trades, or right before the draft. The Phoenix Suns, they uh, acquired Chris Paul from the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder in that deal received uh, Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, 
Jalen Leck, and a 2022 first-round pick. Now, Golden State Warriors have since acquired Kelly Oubre from the Thunder because Klay Thompson got hurt, tore his Achilles in a workout. So, speaking of that, tough break for Klay Thompson. He missed all of last season with a torn ACL. And he was working out, looking healthy, looking good. And he tore his Achilles in a workout. Different leg than when he just tore his knee up last year. But point is, is he needs season-ending surgery. So the Warriors are going to be without Klay Thompson this year. So they had to go get somebody to help offset. So they went and got Kelly Oubre from the Thunder. Uh, so Oubre was only with the Thunder for a short time. Now the biggest, the biggest trade in the NBA was between the Pelicans and the Milwaukee Bucks. And that deal was sending Drew Holiday from the Pelicans to the Bucks for George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, and three first-round picks. So the Pelicans get three first-round picks out of that, plus Hill and Bledsoe, all for Drew Holiday. Now, Drew Holiday is one of the best um, defending point guards in the NBA. And you get to put him alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that's a great trade for the Bucks. Uh, one that's they're looking to keep uh, adding pieces around Giannis because at the end of next year or this at the end of this season rather he'll be a free agent and there's already a bunch of rumors about where he's going to go. But if I'm the Bucks, I'm putting as many pieces around Giannis as possible. But um, there's a whole list of free agent signings um, that you can go look up. Jason Tatum re-signed with the Boston Celtics uh, on his max deal. Donovan Mitchell, same thing, re-signed with the Jazz. And it's just, you know, the whole list is uh, on, you can just Google the, the whole list of signings. I want to read all of those. But um, lots of lots of deals going on in free agency. Now, we'll move over to Major League Baseball and... Over the last couple weeks, Major League Baseball, of course, they're in their offseason. They announced their MVP awards for the American League and National League. And in the American League, your MVP is Chicago White Sox first baseman Jose Abreu. He hit 317 with 19 home runs, 60 RBIs, and 76 hits. And... Uh, that led the majors. Now, uh, those he led the majors in uh, RBIs and hits, I believe. Freddie Freeman is your National League MVP. Atlanta Braves first baseman. He hit 341 with 13 homers and 53 RBIs, 76, or correction, 73 hits. So this was the first time ever in Major League Baseball history that two first basemen won the MVP in the same season, uh, which I thought, again, was interesting. Um, Kind of like those golf stats that I was surprised at. I was surprised to see that, too, uh, considering, you know, first basemen are usually your sluggers. And so I can't believe that, especially in the, you know, when... uh, McGuire and all those guys, you know, 
back in the day. I can't believe we didn't have two first basemen that, that won the MVP in the same year, but such is the case. Um, now, some interesting news out of the MLB is that New York Mets second baseman Robinson Cano, he is suspended for the entire 2021 season because of a positive performance-enhancing drug test. So I think he's been dinged for that one before. And I, I don't know how many times, but I'm pretty sure he's been dinged on that before. And this this was just the, uh, the uh, last straw, I guess, because he's out for the entire year. That'll hurt the Mets. Um, now, also in Major League Baseball, they've announced um, the 2021 season schedules. Dodgers are going to begin, you know, the World Series champion, L.A. Dodgers. They uh, they begin their title defense against the Colorado Rockies on April 1st. Um, the Yankees also, they kick off their season against the Blue Jays. Um, there's four games that day on April 1st that are all on ESPN. The quadruple header on opening day. So that'll be interesting to uh, check that out. Now, before we jump to the NFL, I just remembered there's an extra topic from the NBA that I need to get to, and that is that the Toronto Raptors, uh, they're going to begin the 2020-2021 season in Tampa, Florida, as their home. Now, the reason for that is because the travel ban between the U.S. and Canada with regards to the coronavirus. Um, Canada's closed the border to travel and so that would make it problematic. Uh, Toronto, the Raptors are the only Canadian basketball team, so they can't form an all-Canadian division like the NHL is talking about doing for their season. Um, so if the Raptors want to be a part of the NBA, they need to play here in the United States. And so they have found a home temporarily in Tampa, Florida. So that is, that is pretty interesting there. Now, so let me get right back to Major League Baseball for just a quick second, though. Major League Baseball announced the other day that they're doing, they are launching what they call a wood bat league for draft eligible prospects. Now, this wood bat league is a minor league for top eligible prospects leading up to the summer draft. And there's five teams that are the inaugural teams. And all five of those teams are going to play a 68 game regular season that includes an all star break to coincide with the draft in early July. Teams are being awarded to communities that lost franchises as the MLB moved to shrink the affiliated minor leagues from 160 to 120 teams this offseason. Now, the founding members, the teams of the MLB Draft League, are located in Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, New Jersey. The Mahoning Valley Scrappers, the State College Spikes, the Trenton Thunder, the West Virginia Black Bears, and the Williamsport Crosscutters. And the MLB said it's in discussions with a sixth team that they hope to announce soon. So the purpose of this is for uh, the prospects uh, to get some professional experience, so to speak. The MLB said that the players will receive unprecedented visibility to MLB club scouts through both in-person observation and state-of-the-art scouting technology and educational programming designed to prepare them for their professional careers. So 
pretty interesting little concept there uh, by the MLB. I'm curious to see if or how that works out, uh, but that should be something worth uh, tuning into because that's a great opportunity. It's basically a, a semi-pro league for just scouts, uh, just prospects that are, are able to be scouted for the upcoming draft that year. So uh, pretty cool little uh, little thing that the MLB is doing. But sorry, I've just been kind of bouncing around here these last few minutes, but we're going to jump over to the uh, National Football League and close it out with that. Now, the National Football League, uh, they announced that they have a halftime performer for the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay here in a couple months. And that performer is none other than The Weeknd. And you listened to the beginning of the show, so you know that I am a Weeknd fan because Blinding Lights is the uh, opening song of the Sports Island podcast. And the weekend is probably my favorite singer, so I'm. Uh, I no, I personally was happy to see that he got announced as the halftime performer for the Super Bowl. Now the Super Bowl is only going to have about twenty five percent capacity, so there certainly won't be a, a full crowd on hand. But uh, I've never been to a Super Bowl, so I plan on watching this one just like I do all the other ones. But that's awesome that the weekend is going to be performing. Um, pretty interesting little story here uh, out of the NFL. And if you remember, Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif had stepped away from his career in the NFL. He was an offensive lineman uh, for the Chiefs, won the Super Bowl last year. But he is also a doctor, has his doctorate degree in medicine. And he stepped away from his career in the NFL to serve as a frontline medical worker during this COVID pandemic. And his scrubs are now on display at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, which I thought is very interesting. And there's a picture that I've seen in which uh, he's got his gray scrubs with the Kansas City Chiefs logo on them, and then uh, his white medical doctor coat that has uh, some French words on it. And it's basically the health hospital system in Quebec, one of the ones in in Quebec, Canada. Uh, That's where he's from. So he's back home helping out as a frontline medical worker uh, in this pandemic, which is obviously admirable. uh, And because of that, the NFL decided to put uh, his medical jacket and some scrubs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I thought was really cool. Um. Last week, uh, not this past week in the NFL, but the week before, you saw the game between the Arizona Cardinals and the Buffalo Bills. Now, if you didn't see the whole game, you've at least seen the pass at the end of the game that Kyler Murray made to DeAndre Hopkins. It was like a 40-yard Hail Mary pass. Hopkins jumped up over three Bills defenders and caught it. Cardinals won the game at the last second, right? So... That pass has been called the Hail Murray instead of the Hail Mary. Now, Kyler Murray has actually filed a trademark on that phrase, Hail Murray, to try and, of course, make some money off of his name, image, and likeness. Now, I came across this picture of 
this ha- Arizona was at home. So it happened at State Life uh, or State uh, State Farm Field, I guess. State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. That's where this game was. So there's been some rather historic plays that have happened over the years in Glendale, Arizona at the Cardinals' home stadium. The first one uh, is Super Bowl 42. Eli Manning's pass to David Tyree where he caught the ball on his helmet uh, with Rodney Harrison draped all over him. That pass happened in Glendale. Not to be outdone, Super Bowl 49. Malcolm Butler intercepts Russell Wilson's pass at the goal line to clinch the Super Bowl for the Patriots. That pass happened uh, in Glendale, Arizona. And not to be outdone, the 2016 NFC Divisional Playoffs, Aaron Rodgers threw a Hail Mary in the same fashion that Kyler Murray did just last week. So you've had four outrageous plays all in one stadium. Uh, that's, that is crazy. That's almost as bad as FedEx Field where the Washington football team plays. That field's known for quarterbacks having very bad, serious, career-threatening injuries um, with, with, you know, Kyle Allen, the most recent victim, uh, and Alex Smith previously, Joe Burrow, I guess, is the most recent victim, all blowing out their knees and legs and stuff at that field. Same kind of thing. But the final piece of uh, NFL news, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, and that was the San Francisco 49ers. And they play at Levi Stadium, which is in Santa Clara County, California. Well, this past week, Santa Clara County, California, came out with an ordinance that said that there will be no contact sports of any kind for the next three weeks to help combat the second wave of the virus, which we are fully entrenched in as we speak. Now, that's a little problematic to the 49ers because uh, if you can't play contact sports, then you can't play football. So they needed to come up with a new home for the next couple weeks, and they found none other than State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, to play their next two home games. They play uh, weeks 13 and 14. Um, they will, the 49ers are going to play Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team in weeks 13 and 14 at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. And the 49ers released a statement saying the Cardinals organization, State Farm Stadium, and league officials have been supportive and accommodating as we work through many of the logistical issues involved in relocating NFL games. So 49ers will be playing in Arizona for the next uh, next couple weeks. Now, that's going to wrap up the 20th episode of Sports On. So I appreciate you guys listening. I know there was a lot of stuff to get caught up on. Um, Hope you all, again, had a good Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, we'll uh, hope you stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.